If you would tonight, open in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 111. Psalm 111. I hope uh, you all have been enjoying our time in the Psalms. And uh, we have one tonight that I believe will be a, a blessing. Psalm chapter 111. We're going to read the, the whole Psalm. There are 10 verses. And when you find that, you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word. If you've got it, say amen. 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 Psalm chapter 111, beginning at verse 1, this is what it says. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Verse number four says this. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. So I've titled the message tonight, The Wonderful Works of God. You may be seated. Now, by way of introduction tonight, um, you don't see it in the, in the English translation that we have here, but this psalm is actually what is known as a, an acrostic. And that is that there are 22 lines, and each of those lines begin with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet and continues in succession as it goes. Um, so you, there again, you don't see it in this. Uh, the exception is, praise ye the Lord, um, is not part of that acrostic. But there are 22 lines, and each one uh, begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And they, they use that in order to help in memorization and to show literary skill. Um, just a, a note to make on that. And this psalm here actually begins a series of hallelujah psalms. There are three of them in a row, uh, 111, 112, and 113. And they all begin the exact same way. Praise ye the Lord or hallelujah. That's what hallelujah means. It means praise ye the Lord. And so this psalm before us tonight is a psalm all about praising the Lord. What a good subject, right? And tonight we're talking about the wonderful works of God. It's all about praising God for his wonderful works that he's done. Now, this psalm, as I said, it is a hallelujah psalm. It's the, a praise the Lord psalm. Uh, it's a call to praise God. As you were reading through it, you see over and over that the psalmist speaks about the incredible works of God. 
And in this, he's trying to stir the people to praise God. He wants them to praise him for God's works in creation, for his work in the lives of people, for his wonderful works it talks about, for his powerful works, his stirring uh, works. He wants us to praise God for his grace and compassion. Isn't that a good thing to praise God for? To praise him for his provision, for his faithfulness. Isn't God faithful? For his unchanging word. I love the word of God. But most of all, we should praise him for his redeeming work. The redeeming work of God. All of the works of God are incredible, are they not? Because God is an incredible God. And because of this, we should, in fact, praise him for who he is. And praise him for what he has done. So tonight should be a night where you give God a hallelujah. Isn't it a night where you give God a hallelujah, where you say, praise the Lord. So I want to start tonight by pointing out a few things about this psalm as we get into it. It's very wonderful. He begins by giving a call to praise God. It's found in verse 1, and it's a general call, and it goes out to all. Look at verse 1. He says, praise ye the Lord. That is a call to all of God's people to give God a hallelujah. The psalmist wants us to begin to praise God. Now, you need to notice also that it's not a, a suggestion, but rather it's a command. He says, praise ye the Lord. He says, listen, all of you people. Listen, congregation. Listen, all those who read this psalm. It's a call to all who will hear it that God is worthy to be praised. He's saying, you ought to take the time to praise the Lord. He says, I don't care who you are. I don't care in what condition you find yourself, wherever you are. He says, you need to praise the Lord. It's a hallelujah psalm. He's giving that call to praise God. Psalm 150, verse 6, you know it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Over and over the Psalms, it is the songbook of the Bible, and it takes us through all the emotions that we feel in our life. If, if you're going through something, I guarantee you can read the Psalms and you'll find something that speaks to where you are in that place. But over and over again, the Bible tells us we ought to praise God in whatever condition we're in. So I want you to notice also with this call to praise, it is a call to personal praise. Did you notice that? He says, praise you the Lord, and then he says, I will praise the Lord. In verse 1, I will praise the Lord. So he's saying to everybody that reads this, he's saying everyone should praise God, and he says, I will praise God, and so should you. That's what he's saying. He said, I am going to praise God. Now, sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes everything went wrong on your way to church. Sometimes there, it just, you just don't feel like praising God. You don't feel like singing. You don't feel like clapping your hands. You just want to sit there like a knot on a log. You just, you just don't feel like it. But the psalmist is saying, you need to make a determination right now, right here and now, at the very start of this psalm, that I will praise the Lord. Can you say that with me? I will praise the Lord. Let's say that again. I I will praise the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is trying to get across to us. There was a time in the scriptures where 
David was discouraged and the people were about to stone him. And the Bible says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. In those times where you don't feel like you can go another moment, it's a time where you need to start encouraging yourself in the Lord. It's a time when you need to open the pages of God's word. Go to the Psalms and start encouraging yourself in the Lord. Let the word of God begin to speak to you and you'll find that as you start entering into praise and you make that determination saying, I will praise the Lord, you're going to find that it starts to get easier to praise the Lord and the load starts to get lighter and before you know it, you're shouting and giving God glory for the wonderful works that he's done. Amen. You know, the devil doesn't like us praising God, but God likes it. So we ought to praise God and bless God and at the same time torment the devil. How about that? It doesn't get any better than that. Amen? He bothers you all week long. How about you bother him for a chance? But he also calls us to an undivided praise. He says, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart, with all that is within me. You know, God will have all of us or he'll have none of us. God wants all of us. He wants us to enter in in the fullness of, of the blessings that he has for us. So when we come to praise God, it should not only be a determination that generally we should praise God, but to say, I will praise God. But not only that, but I will praise God with all that is within me. I will lift my heart and my voice and my praise to my God. I'm going to give God a hallelujah. Amen. Don't just sit there. <laughs> I'm going to get excited whether you do or not. Because when I came tonight, I already read this and said, I will praise the Lord. And so because I already made that determination, I want you to come along with us because we're going to praise the Lord tonight. I want everybody in this room to be on the same page. I will praise the Lord, and I'm going to do it with all of my heart. I don't want it to be said that, uh, that I praise him with my lips, but my heart is far from him. I want it to be said that there's something inside, that when I'm praising God, it's something that God has, has birthed inside of me, that there's a river flowing and it's a river of life that God has put inside that when I praise God it's not just to make a show but it's because God is doing something real inside and I want to give him glory hallelujah undivided praise and then finally within this verse he also gives the call to public praise he says in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation and I think what he's saying in the assembly is, is to say in a small group. You see, he gives personal praise by yourself. When you can be a nut in, in your room and no one's looking, praising the Lord. I do that. You know, you can be by yourself and praise the Lord, but he says not only that, I'm going to praise God in the small groups, in the assemblies with, with those that are close to me. But also when I come to church, I'm going to praise God in the congregation. Too many times we come to the congregation and we're worried about what this person's doing or what that person's doing or what this person is not doing or what they should be doing. And all these things are distractions that get us away from what we need to be focusing on, which is I will praise the Lord and I will praise him with my whole heart. I can't praise him with my whole heart if I'm focused on what somebody else is doing. I can't praise him with my whole heart if I'm worried about what's 
much going on around me, but when I lift my hands and surrender to him and I say, yes, I'm going to praise him and I'm going to praise him with my whole heart and I don't care what anybody thinks. Hallelujah. This is a hallelujah psalm. We're just getting started. Praise the Lord. I love that it says in Psalm 133, verse 1, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Isn't it good when we come together in one mind and one accord and lift our voices and our praise to God? Isn't that what happened on the day of Pentecost when they all came together in one mind and one accord and the power of God fell and God shook the world right there from that place? I believe God can still do it. I believe he can still shake this world one more time. I believe he can still change lives and transform hearts. I believe God can shake this world one more time before he shakes it in judgment because God's going to do it. I believe God can stir this nation one more time. I believe the winds of the Holy Ghost can blow across the old dead coals of this nation and a fire will be kindled again. I believe God will do it. And I, can, I believe it can do it in each one of us. And oh God, let the fire burn inside of us that we would cause the fire to go out from this place and it would begin to burn and God would begin to do works like we've never seen in our lifetime. Oh, I believe God can do it. Hallelujah. So tonight I want to give you five reasons to praise God. Five reasons to praise God. I've split this psalm up in a way that I think uh, will help it to be more digestible. You might split it up a little differently, but I think we can uh, get a good grasp of it by looking at five reasons to praise God. The psalmist, first of all, tells us you really need to praise God, and then he says, well, if you're, if you're not sure what to do, what to praise God about, he says, well, let me give you a few things to praise God about. He says, let me help you out here if you're not sure. So that's what we're going to do, five reasons to praise God. Are we ready? Number one, praise him for his great works, his great works. Now, look at verse two. It says, the works of the Lord are what? Great. Well, that was an easy point to come up with. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Now, I thought of this, and, and he talks over and over about the works of God. And we're going to look at these from different angles. And I, I want to, first of all, say the great works. I believe that you could say this is the creation. The creation of God is a great work, isn't it? I believe, you know, of course, every work that God does is a great work. But he talks about the great works, and he says that they're sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. The glory of creation is beyond expression. It's beyond comprehension. It's more than we can take in. Um, you think about uh, within the earth, you know, how beautiful the earth is, but within the earth, all the living creatures, from the tiniest little microscopic things all the way to enormous things and everything in between, and they're all billions and trillions of them uh, creeping and crawling on this earth, and God has made every single one of them, and they're unique on their own respect. You can go out and, and look at a, a thousand leaves on a tree, and you'll find something different about every single one on that tree. 
Every snowflake is unique in its own self. Every snowflake that we just saw here recently and we wished it would go be seen somewhere else. Every one of those was unique and everything that is in this world has been designed and created by God. It's astounding when you think about how complex the universe is. And there's so much beauty that's here. There's so much uh, incredible things that's here. And yet, we're in the scope of the universe and how massive that is, we're just a tiny little speck. Just a tiny little speck in the, in the middle of this great universe. And, and it's, it's amazing to me. But I love what it says there at the end of verse 2. It says, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Uh, over in, uh, there's a, a laboratory called the Cavendish Laboratory, and it's the Department of Physics at the University of Cambridge. And above their door, they have this verse inscribed above their door that says, the works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. And I thought about that. Isn't man always digging? We're always looking Right above the, the door of, of, of that university, the words to the Bible that says all of the great works of God are sought out. And man is continually looking deeper. They're looking as deep as they can go. They're looking as far out as they can go. And everywhere they go, they're, they're never going to find a place in the universe where there isn't something that they can uh, observe and inspect and probe and research. There, there's always something more out there. They'll never, ever, possibly ever reach the end. They will never reach the end. Because the, war, the works of the Lord are great works, and they're sought out. We can't even drill to the center of the earth. We, we don't even know about all the complexities that's within our own bodies. Uh, there's like 100 million light receptors in, a, in an eye, and there's like a, over 100,000 miles of blood vessels in our body, something to that effect. It's just astounding all the different things that God has done. And, and we can never possibly search them all out. But we do. We, we look for them. We, we look for all these things. But the sad thing is, is so many of these people, these brilliant minds, fail to see the fingerprints of God in all these things. They fail to see the beauty of what God has made. They fail, when they look and see these astounding things, they fail to look and see that in everything, everywhere, the fingerprints of God are all over it. And it's just like it says in Romans chapter 1. It says in Romans 1.22, it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. It's astounding to me. But all the works of God, all of the great works of God, they're worth being sought out. When the believer looks at these things, we, we are in awe and wonder of what God has done. Every time we look out into the creation and we see the trees and the blades of grass and the mountains and the, and the oceans and all the beautiful things and the, the animals and the birds and puppies and kittens and all the beautiful things God has made, we say, God is. We say, God is. Every time we look into the, the skies and the, the stars that are innumerable and God knows them all by name and we just have to say, God, you're amazing. God is. Everywhere we look, we know that God is because the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. But not only the beauty of creation, but scripture is worth being sought out. 
You know that scripture is worth being sought out. Those who love the word of God, you can dig into the pages of scripture and you know you'll never reach the end of the riches of God's word. God has made his word in so much that you can, you can dig into it and you can love it and you can take pleasure in it as you seek out the beauty of his word. You never reach the end. You can dig as deep as you want to go. You can search as far as you want to go. You can, you can read every book that's in the world and you're never ever going to reach the end of God's word because the works of the Lord are great works and they are worth being sought out. That's why it says... In Psalm 119, verse 18, I love this verse. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, open my eyes that I can just see what's there. Beautiful, beautiful. Number two, we should praise him for his providential work. You know, God is working in his creation too. You know that. Verse 3 says, his work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. Notice, previously it talked about his works, and now it says his work, no S, his work. And I think you can take this as the collective of God's work, that all that God has been up to, in eternity past, in eternity future, and everywhere in between, you can say God's work is honorable, it is glorious, and it is righteous because God is righteous and his righteousness endures forever. Isn't that beautiful? The work of God, what God is up to, everything that he's doing. God is always working behind the scenes. We can't always tell what he's doing. We can't always understand what he's up to. But every, every moment of every day, God is busy doing something in the lives of the people, something in this universe. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus holds all things together. Every day, God is doing something. Right now, God is doing something. And all of his works, as it says, are honorable. All of his work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. Someone once said, history is his story. Maybe you've heard that. Someone else said, providence is the hand behind the headlines. I like that. Ronald Reagan once quoted Benjamin Franklin in a speech to the National Association of Evangelicals in 1983, and this is what he said, the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. Do you believe that? That God is always working something? And you say, well, man's out of control. They're doing whatever they want. They're going haywire. And you have to kind of think about it like this. If a boat is headed north and a man is on the boat, but he starts walking south, ultimately that boat is going north. Regardless of the fact that he's walking south. And man may rebel. We may fight against his ways. We may fight against what he's doing. But ultimately God is the one that's steering this boat. And he's going to bring it right where he intends it to go. Because God is the one. He is the hand behind the headlines. He is the one that is writing history. Because it is his story. It's not man's. And ultimately God will be the one that disposes of everything. Hallelujah. 
with that thought, you have to realize that God has never made a mistake. God has never misspoke. He's never said something and said, oh, I didn't mean to say that. Hold on. Sorry. God's never done that. God never misspoke. He's never had something surprise him. God's never jumped and said, oh, you scared me there. Uh, he's never had anything occur to him. He never had a thought suddenly that said, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Nothing's ever occurred to God. He's all-knowing. And it's an amazing thing that, that God is in control. Even though man rebels and does foolishness, ultimately God is going to work all these things together. God knows what he's up to. Do you believe that? God knows what he's up to in your life. God knows what he's up to in this world. Vance Habner once said, a great evangelist from the past, Vance Habner, he said, I thank God for the unseen hand, sometimes urging me onward, sometimes holding me back, sometimes with a caress of approval, sometimes with a stroke of reproof, sometimes correcting, sometimes comforting. My times are in his hand. The believer is in the care of God, and all of our times are in the hand of God. Isn't that a comforting thing? To know that God, who, who has created the universe, and all of these great works, is still doing great works in the lives of his people. And his work, as our scripture says, it is honorable and glorious and righteous because his righteousness endures forever. I have one more quote from Vance Habner that I want to read to you on this line before we move on because I think it's very encouraging. Some of you may be going through some dark times right now, but I want you to listen closely to this. It says, the unseen hand may be obscured at times by the fog of circumstance, but just because we can't see the sun on a cloudy day doesn't mean that it isn't there. Just because we can't see it right now doesn't mean that it isn't there. Number three, you still with me tonight? Yes. Praise him for his wonderful works. His wonderful works. This is his memorable works. I love this. Verse four, he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Now, throughout history, God has done incredible works. God has done miraculous works. He's done wonders. He's done miracles. Things that you say, only God could do that. Things that you have to say, it is no one but the hand of God Almighty himself. These are astounding works. These are works of deliverance that God has done. These are works that were so incredible that they left a permanent mark on the hearts and the minds of the people who experienced them. And they're still being talked about to this day. I have to ask the question, has God ever done a wonderful work in your life? Has he ever delivered you? Has he ever saved you? Isn't that a wonderful work? Isn't that a work to be remembered? 
Isn't that something that was so astounding and so powerful that it left a permanent mark on your heart that you've never gotten over it because God did something in you and it was something that only God could do. Hallelujah. I think about the miracles of God, his wonderful works, his works that are be, they're, they're to be remembered. He makes his works to be remembered. That's what the scripture says. I think about way back with Noah's ark. God told Noah to build the ark and the judgment was getting ready to come. And when God was going to send the, the flood, Noah and his family went into that ark and God shut the door and Noah was saved from the judgment of God in the ark. I think about the children of Israel who were in bondage in Egypt. And the Pharaoh said, I will not let you go. And then God began to plague the Pharaoh. Plague after plague after plague until the Pharaoh had to let them go. And it was a work to be remembered. I think about the same children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt and they were at the Red Sea and the Pharaoh was pursuing them behind and they had no place to go. And God said, stretch your rod out over the sea and the sea parted. And the Bible says it, it was congealed in one place. It was, oh, it was maybe like jello. You know, that would be pretty cool. See a whale floating in jello or something. Only God can do that, right? <laughs> But he, he caused the waters to part in the children of Israel. They went through on dry ground. And when the army of Pharaoh thought they could do the same thing, God said, no, you ain't doing the same thing. And the waters came back over them. And God destroyed the enemies of Israel. And it was a work to be remembered. I think about how they were out in the wilderness and they needed food to eat. And what did God do? He gave them manna from heaven, bread that they could eat. And it was a work to be remembered. They were thirsty. They had no water. And God caused water to come out of the rock. And the Bible says that that rock was Christ Jesus. And it was a work to be remembered. I think about how when Joshua was leading these same people and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River and in the same way, the priests, they carry the Ark of the Covenant out there. And the Bible says that the waters walled up and heaped up on one side. And the children of Israel went through on dry ground, just like they did at the Red Sea. In fact, it was supposed to be remembered because God said, you set up a memorial. And when your children ask you, what do these rocks mean? And they'll say, it's because the Lord, your God, took you across the Jordan on dry ground, just like he did across the Red Sea on dry ground. Around. And it was a work to be remembered. I think about the walls of Jericho when they were coming in uh, to the promised land. The walls fortified and tall and they couldn't penetrate those walls. But through obedience and simple shouts of praise, God caused the walls to come tumbling down. And it was a work to be remembered. I think about how Joshua is fighting against the Amorites and, uh, and he, he needed more time. And so he, he commanded the sun to stand still and the moon to stay where it's at and it, it did and God caused the sun to stand still and there's never been a day like it since there's never been a day like that day when God did something and it was a work to be remembered 
Oh, hallelujah. Are you starting to catch the picture? I think about Gideon and the armies of Midian and the Amalekites and how uh, the army uh, ran for their lives and they started killing each other whenever Gideon and 300 men blew trumpets and they broke pitchers with, with light, with lamps in them. I think about David and the lion and the bear were coming to take a sheep out of his flock and God gave him the strength to take that lion and the bear and kill it. And he did the same thing with the Philistine giant. And it was always a work to be remembered in the life of David. You think about Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den. They said, Daniel, you can't keep praying. And Daniel said, I'm going to keep praying anyway. And they said, Daniel, if you keep praying like you're praying, we're going to throw you into the lion's den. And he prayed anyway. And they threw him into the lion's den. But God shut the mouth of the lion. And God brought him out. And it was a work to be remembered. You think about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And they refused to obey the mandate of the day. Old Nebuchadnezzar set up uh, an image in the plain of Dura. And he said, when you hear the music, you bow and worship. And they said, we will not bow to your image. We will not bow. And he said, well, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And so when the music played, they didn't bow. And old Neb took them and threw them into the fiery furnace. But there was three that went in. But there was a fourth man in the fire. And it was our Lord. Lord, Jesus Christ and he brought them out and they didn't even smell like smoke and it was a work to be remembered hallelujah you think about Elijah in Mount Carmel when he's having the showdown at Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal went all day long trying to get old Baal to bring some fire out of heaven but he just couldn't get it to happen he must have been out sleeping Elijah made fun of him quite a bit, and I'm glad he did. And there God just couldn't make it happen. But then when it came time for Elijah, they poured the water. He rebuilt the altar that was broke down, and he poured the water all over it. He prayed, and God caused fire to come out of heaven, and it licked up the water and the sacrifice, and there wasn't nothing left, and everybody said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God, and it was a work to be remembered. Hallelujah. Over and over again, God has done wonders. He has done marvelous works, and they are works to be remembered. Hallelujah. And we think of Jesus, the miracle worker. And there's so many more than what I even mentioned. When you read the pages of Scripture, but then you look at Jesus and how he turned the water into wine. How he opened the blinded eyes and he caused the deaf to hear and the dumb to talk and the blind to see and he cast out the devils and he cleansed the lepers and he made the lame to walk and he went to the tomb of Lazarus who was rotting and decaying in there. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he spoke and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came up out of the tomb because he had to obey the command of the Savior and death could not hold him in that tomb. And that was a work to be remembered. Every life Jesus touched, every time that he spoke, everything that he did was a work to be remembered. It was a wonderful work. And I think about the fact 
that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, as I thought about these wonderful works to be remembered, what did Jesus say? On the same night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and the cup. And he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25, he said, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. What's he say here? This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now why did Jesus say that? Why did Jesus say these things? Because he was about to do a wonderful work. There was a work to be remembered. It was a a work that was a work to be remembered. And he went to the cross and he took on himself the sins of the whole world. And his body was broken and his blood was shed and he died and he was buried. But on the third day, he rose again from the grave, victorious over death because death could not hold him. It was not possible that death could hold him. And then he he went out and and he's getting ready to ascend to heaven and he, he raises his hands and I believe that on that day that you could see the light shining through the nail prints in his hands as they're lifted and he's blessing his disciples and he ascends into heaven and they're standing saying whoa (laughs) and he sat down at the right hand of God and there he is interceding for you and me and it is a work to be remembered these are the wonderful works of God And every time we come to the Lord's table, every time we look at these things, we say, oh, God, thank you for your wonderful works. I remember your body that was broken for me. I remember your blood that was shed for me for forgiveness of my sins. Oh, it is a wonderful work, isn't it, church? And here's the thing about God's wonderful works is they show us his grace and compassion. They do. The works of God. That's what it says in verse 4, the last part of it. It says, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. The works that God does, the works that he's done in the past were not because we deserved them. Not because the children of Israel, they constantly complained and murmured against God. And so do we. We're not any better than these people are. We're not any better than the examples that God gave us in the pages of Scripture where he says, look at these for your example and and don't do the things that were wrong. He gives us examples. And all the works that God did were not because they deserved them, not because they earned them, not because they were such good people. It was because God is gracious and full of compassion. And when God was showing his wonderful works, when God was doing his mighty works, when God was doing these incredible works, he is saying, I am gracious, I am loving, I am merciful, I am compassionate, and I'm not doing it because of you, but I'm doing it because of who I am and the fact that I love you. Hallelujah. I love that. Verse 5, it shows that he is a provider for his people. He has given meat unto them that fear him. God will sustain those that are trusting in him. You believe that? 
He will. He's done it throughout history. He'll do it for you. Not only that, but he's true to his word. It says he will ever be mindful of his covenant. That's the last part of verse 5. Every promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and through the pages of Scripture, every promise that God has ever made, God is going to keep. God is going to keep it, not partially, not almost, but fully, 100%. God is going to keep every promise that he ever made. And not only this, but I want you to notice that the, the wonderful works of God we've been talking about were also powerful works. I almost gave this its own, its own uh, number, but I don't think you can really separate them because it shows another part of the works of God. And here's what I mean. The wonderful works of God were powerful works. Obviously, they were powerful, but God will always finish what he starts, he that has begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What God starts, he will always finish. He, he doesn't just do something halfway. And so look at verse six. He has showed his people the power of his works that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. Now, the power of God was not only shown in the fact that he could bring them up out of Egypt, but that he could also take them in to the promised land. So you see, the wonder was when he brought them out. But you see, his sustaining power is when he took them in. Because God said, I'm bringing you out that I might bring you in. Now, there were those that fell in the wilderness because of unbelief, disobedience. But God brought his people into that promised land. Because God said that he would do it. And so the wonderful works of God are, are powerful works. God was working in them, and God was working through them. The land that they were going into, it looked like it was impossible to take. There were giants. There was all sorts of difficulties and problems. It looked like a difficult place to go. But God was going to demonstrate them uh, to them his power, his power of his wonderful works by taking them all the way into the promised land. And that's why it says in that verse that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. God drove out those enemies and Israel was able to come into the land that God said that they would take. And that was God showing the power of his wonderful work. And you know, the believer, we enjoy a similar experience to that. When God saves us, when, God, uh, when, when, when we repent of our sins and trust Christ, God does a miracle. God does a wonderful miracle. It is called being born again. We are baptized into the body of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, a promise. And what's amazing is at that moment, we are completely saved. It's not we're climbing up a ladder and someday we hope to be saved. When God does it, we are saved. There's no ladder to heaven. You got to climb up. God came down to save us. And so we're completely saved in that moment. But God doesn't just leave us like that. Because God says, I'm going to bring you out, then I might bring you in. And so God intends for us to have a promised land experience where he says, I brought you out of Egypt, but I'm going to show you not just my wonderful works in saving you and bringing you out, but I'm going to show you my power when I give you my Holy Spirit. And you're going to go in and those giants in your life that you can't conquer, those problems in your life, you're going to find that they're getting pushed out and God's going to make a way where 
there, it looks like there is no way because God is going to show you the power of his wonderful works. <laughs> Hallelujah. We are to live in that land flowing with milk and honey. It's called living in the spirit of God in the blessings of Christ Jesus. And it's ours. It's been secured. It's yours right now in the power of Jesus Christ because he's given it to you. Hallelujah. I believe that's why it says in John chapter 1 verse 12, it says, but as many as received him. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That is, he, he, he has saved us. Those that have received us, uh, received him. But he also gives us the power to become full-grown, mature children of God. That's what God's doing. He shows us the power of his wonderful works. Number four, got to move right along or you guys are going to stone me here. I'll have to encourage myself in the Lord. <laughs> we should praise him for his faithful works. His faithful works, they, his works are true and just. Look at verses 7 and 8. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. Everything that God does is true and just. Everything that God commands is settled and sure. He doesn't change from day to day. If he said it in his word today, it's still going to be the same tomorrow. What he commands and decrees, it's settled. God said it, and that's the way that it is. And so his word is established and it endures forever. That's why he says all his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever. And here's the thing. God will always operate in accordance with his eternal decrees. He will always operate in accordance with his word. If somebody comes to you saying something that doesn't agree with the word of God, send them down the road. If they attack the scriptures, if they attack the word of God, if they say it's, it's been altered and, and this and that, and they have all sorts of crazy schemes, tell them to get down the road. You're not interested. If they say Jesus plus something, get down the road. I'm not interested. We're saved by grace through faith alone, through Jesus Christ alone. We've been reconciled by his death, justified by his blood, and we'll be glorified with him in his resurrection. End of story. Don't come at me with your nonsense. That's what the Bible says. God's decreed it. And all of his commandments, they are sure. They stand fast forever and ever. And they are done in truth and uprightness. His works are true and just. Everything God does. Joseph Carroll said this. The works of God expound his word. In his works, his word is often made visible. The works of God give us a demonstration of the words of God. It is a demonstration of his word. There's always going to be a perfect harmony between the word of God and the works of God. Always going to be a perfect harmony. God's not going to go against what he said. And a perfect example of that is what we're going to find in number five. We should praise him for his greatest work, redemption. His greatest work. Now, I realize we've touched on it already, but let me just say a few things and then we'll be done. Verse 9. He sent redemption unto his people. Isn't that beautiful? 
He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Way back in Genesis, God promised to send a deliverer. He said that the seed of the woman was going to bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent would bruise his heel. God was going to send a a deliverer that was going to crush the serpent. And through the pages of Scripture, you see that scarlet thread. You see the sacrifices and things. You see how all through the pages of Scripture, you see how God is showing, he's demonstrating in types and shadows and things, how God is going to send the deliverer that's going to redeem his people from their sins. Uh, Ray Comfort says it often, he says it like this, in the Old Testament, God promised to destroy death. The New Testament shows us how he did it. And God promised to send deliverer. Now, the psalmist here probably has the exodus in mind that we've been talking about, how they were in bondage and God sent Moses and God sent them, in essence, a deliverer to bring them out and God was the one that brought them out. But in, in the sense that we have today, God sent redemption. And in the fullness of time, I want to read that to you in Galatians 4, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. In the fullness of time, at exactly the right time, God acted exactly in accordance with what he said in the pages of Scripture, and God sent the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says, God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, yeah, God sent the Redeemer. He sent redemption unto his people. And that Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, went to the cross, bore our sins, took the full wrath of God, and broke the power of sin and death forever and ever. I want you to notice that redemption is a work of God through Christ. It's no work that we can do, nothing that man can do, It's all by God, and it was a work of God through Christ. The Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And what Jesus secured on the cross is settled forever. That's why the scripture says he has commanded his covenant forever. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was an eternal decree. It was saying the debt is paid, paid in full. One sacrifice for sin forever. That's what the book of Hebrews says. And so we have this new covenant, a covenant of grace, and it is one that is forever. And we have with it the promise of a new heart, the promise of everlasting life, and it's all through the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what he did there, the next phase of this greatest work that we're looking for is yet to come when we will be glorified. Those whom he has justified, he will also glorify. John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. And we know that when we look in the mirror. But we know that when he shall appear, 
We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When we see Jesus, we're going to be like Jesus. That's the next stop along the way of God's greatest work, redemption. Because he doesn't do it halfway. Brings us out to bring us in. He'll bring us into glory land. Chris, go ahead and head this way. I'm going to finish this psalm out. It says, holy and reverend is his name. God should be honored. I don't like that, that many times people, uh, preachers are called reverend. The only time that that word is used in, is used for God. Reverend is his name. God is to be feared and honored. And so we should have a right response to the works of God. And you're going to find that in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Basically, we should fear the Lord. We should reverence and honor his name because of who he is. When we look back at all his wonderful works, the wonderful works of God, it should cause us to fear the Lord. And we should give him the honor that is due. Someday we're going to give an account to him. And it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. So everything that we read about the word of God, when we see who God is and what he's done, we should do our best to apply it into our lives so that it will affect us, so that it will cause us to reverence and honor God more. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge rightly applied. Take what you learn and use it. We should obey the Lord and grow in grace. That's why it says a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. When you come to Christ, you're going to do good works because you've been saved. You don't do good works in order to be saved. And then finally, he says, his praise endures forever. And here's the last thought that I'll leave with you. Angels that have never known redemption from sin never cease to praise God in heaven right now. Continuously, holy, holy, holy. How much more should the people of God who have been in the bondage of sin and the destruction that we brought upon our own selves, but God saved us, how much more should we praise God for his wonderful works that he has done. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, was blind, but now I see the wonderful works of God. We're going to give an invitation tonight, and it's an open invitation, whatever your need is. If you'd like to pray where you are, you can do that. We're going to have a song, and if you'd like to come to these altars, they are a meeting place with God. You are welcome to come to these altars and pray and seek Him. Maybe you just want to thank Him and take a few moments while Chris sings uh, to thank God and to praise God for what He's done. And I hope that tonight you will go home and take some time and do some I will praise the Lord's too. And really spend some time in the presence of Lord. Would you, would you stand with me tonight? Those that are online, you can pray right where you are too. We appreciate you joining us as well. And God bless you. And uh, we'll have a song and then uh, be dismissed. <laughs>